found in John 6 and verse 37. It reads, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The person speaking in this text is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in this same chapter, verse 45, Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. To come to Christ is to come to the Father, and vice versa. This time at this time, we would like to consider some of the characteristics of those who come to Christ. So we see in this very chapter, we have a double guarantee from him who cannot lie that some people are going to come to Christ, and we are not left in the dark as to the identity of those who come to Christ. They are the exact same people and number the Father gave unto the Son in the covenant of redemption. Christ prayed, saying in His high priestly prayer, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Note, if you would please, the scripture says that Christ should give eternal life to as many, not all of mankind, but as many as the Father had given him in the covenant of redemption. The giving of those by the Father unto the Son, of whom it is said in our text, they shall come to Christ antedates the beginning of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, He, that is God, has chosen us, those who come to Christ in time, has chosen us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And then in Acts chapter 13 verse 48, we read, As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Their ordination to eternal life preceded their believing and was the cause of their coming to Christ. Their believing was not the cause of their ordination, but the ordination was the cause of their believing. It is clearly and unequivocally stated in our text that all the Father gave unto the Son shall without a single exception come to Him. And he has gloriously promised, saying, And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Simply, God does not choose and then lose. Now let us highlight some of the characteristics of those who come to Christ. There is no question as to their coming to Christ. We have read three times, They shall come, says the unerring word. But what kind of people are they in nature before they come to Christ? First, let us consider that all who come to Christ are in debt. Every child born in America in 1990 inherits a $13,000 debt. That is his part of the national debt. Man in nature is carnally in debt, but more seriously, he is spiritually in debt. In Luke chapter 7, verses 41 and 42, we read, 
there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Let us look at the context and see. The creditor is God. The two debtors is the woman who came to Jesus with the alabaster box of ointment, washed his feet with tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. The other debtor is the Pharisee with whom Jesus said at meat. They both were in debt, and neither had the least farthing to pay towards their debt. The scripture plainly says they had nothing to pay. They stood before him empty-handed as to their indebtedness to him. The woman may represent the Gentile and the Pharisee the Jews. All men are represented in these two debtors. All are spiritually impoverished and utterly so, as it was with these two people. They had nothing to pay. The debt owed is perfect obedience unto the law of God. And all have sinned, all Jews and all Gentiles. So it is. All men are in debt to God's holy law, and they have nothing to pay. A man may lose his job. He may lose his car. He may lose his home. He may even lose his family, and that's very sad. But this can in no way compare with what man has lost through sin. His debt is infinite, humanly insurmountable, and the penalty is eternal debt. The wages of sin is death, says the Word of God. And they have no hope and are without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. The penalty and the debt are co-equal and co-extensive. The world is so deep in debt to God and so steeped in ignorance, it has forgot who owes who. If we get a loan at a bank, sign our name to the loan agreement, promise them pay it back in specified amounts and at stipulated times, but we never make a payment on the loan, we are too smart to go to the bank and say, hey, you owe me the loan amount instead of me owing you. But when it comes to spiritual matters, man is utterly foolish and ignorant and thinks it is God that is in debt to him rather, the, rather than he in debt to God. Man as he is in nature is a debtor to Almighty God. And that debt is one of unfeigned and perfect obedience to God's holy just and good law. The primary thing to get and keep uppermost and straight in our mind is God is the creditor and man is the debtor. Yet, vain man will say, God owes everybody a chance to be saved. That statement is replete with the rankest ignorance. Man's lostness is not by chance. He deliberately rebelled against God and bankrupted himself. God does not owe man. Man is the debtor, and he owes his creator and sovereign creditor, God. God is almighty, and he cannot be obligated or in debt to his creatures. Neither does God forgive man his debts by chance. No soul is ever saved by chance, but by Christ. 
He is omniscient, and chance is utterly alien to his nature. God is not amenable to man, nor to anything outside of himself. Not one soul in hell shall ever say, I am here because I was unlucky. I had my chance to be saved and missed it. Spiritually blinded men see the terms fate and luck, but they are never to be found in the vocabulary of God. Jesus never said, let's give it a chance, it may work. Jesus never said, let's give it a try, it may come out all right. Jesus never said, I think so, or it may be, or perhaps. Some homes are bought with an agreement that is called a land contract. The land contract calls for little to no down payment on the home, with specified monthly payment. In nearly every land contract, there is a clause which states, that one delinquent monthly payment by the purchaser violates the contract and makes the total sum of the debt due immediately. In a manner of speaking, God sold Adam a home on land contract with no down payment, but with a clause which read, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day Thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. You talk about a good deal. Well, Adam was given the very best deal. No taxes, no upkeep, no utility bills, no need for insurance. Heating and air conditioning was perfect. No sickness or aging. Only one prohibitive clause. That is, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for it will result in foreclosure, eviction, forfeiture of all the blessings, and the exacting of the stipulated penalty for disobedience. Thou shalt surely die. Well, we know from precept and bitter experience that Adam violated the contract agreement. And Paul says, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I won't ask, how many of you have a doctor's appointment this week? But we'll say, there was no need for medical science before sin entered the world. And now much of man's time is spent in the doctor's office and the hospital trying to get a few more days on earth. We need to remember that Adam was not only the ancestral or genealogical head of the human race, but that he was also the federal head of mankind. And when he rebelled against God, we were not only in collusion with him, but acted in him and lost the covenant blessings of Eden. Now, separation from God. That is spiritual death. In Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Adamic family, judicially declared inept and rebels, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man through sin became spiritually bankrupt. He has not one spiritual penny to pay on his debt. But the God of this world has blinded man's mind to the enormity of the debt and caused him to think he has the ability to settle his account with God. He tells man that baptism will get you a receipt from God, marked P. 
paid in full. That prayer, that free will, that morality will get the debt paid unto God. For sure, payment of the debt would please God and settle it forever. But the Scripture says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That is, they have nothing to pay. They are flat busted. Yet some will say, I am not too bad of a sinner. Then comes a number of I's, the personal pronoun. I give to the Red Cross. I provide very well for my family. I go to church now and then. I don't drink. I don't gamble. I do not curse. Man is born with eye trouble and meatus. Somebody said one out of every five words which man speaks is either me, mine, my, or I. At least 20% of man's vocabulary is glaringly rooted in pride. Not too bad of a sinner? Well, let's hear what he who knows the hearts of all men has to say about it. In James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. They who come to Christ are utterly depraved, guilty of every offense in the catalog of evil, and have nothing to pay. They are altogether vanity. 100% corrupt and bankrupt. Let me tell you some things that will not pay the debt or help pay the debt. No partial payments will satisfy God. Chance will not save you. Luck will not save you. Good works will not save. Church membership will not save. The Lord's Supper will not save you. Tithing will not save you. Baptism will not save you. Obeying the golden rule will not save you. Simply, human will, so-called, that is, so-called free will, cannot save you. And all this added up, and the total sum is nothing paid. None of these things, nor all of them together, can pay the debt which man owes to God, or even help to pay the debt. In fact, when man depends on these things to give him credit with God, he further compounds his debt and causes the interest to accrue at an exceeding and alarming high rate. Now, let me tell you what will save the soul and fully and forever settle the soul-damning debt owed unto God by all men. And, and then we'll be able to say, the debt is paid in full. God will say, the creditor is satisfied. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 5, By grace you are saved. How very plain. In verse 8 he says, Grace is the gift of God. To the Corinthian church, Paul said, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Please note the donor. The grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Do you know what the word bestowed means? It means something applied freely. That is, in this case, where sin, the sin debt, was held hard and fast against the man. 
but that the grace of God did much more abound. In Titus 3, verse 7, Paul said that the elect, debtors to God's holy law, are justified by His grace, that is, those who come to Christ. Man's debt to God's holy law is greater than he can possibly conceive or imagine. The Scripture says the carnal mind is enmity against God. This text does not say man's mind is full of enmity against God, even though that is the, that is the case. But it does say the carnal mind is, is enmity against God. A bucket may be full of water, but the bucket is not water, nor a part of the water. A person is whatever his or her mind is, nothing more, nothing less. Christ said, out of the abundance of the heart, that is the mind, the mouth speaketh. Matthew twelve thirty four. As man thinketh, so is he. The natural man walks in the vanity of his mind and is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Scripture. Let me read. Mind and conscience is defiled. Titus 1, 15. Therefore, it is as Paul said, we need a renewing of the mind. That is, the mind of Christ which destroys the enmity of the natural heart and replaces it with gratitude towards God. Man's debt to God is ten million times more than he can handle. But bless God, it is not more than Christ can handle. Believe me, I know, perceptually and experientially, God has told me and keeps telling me, where my debt abounded, his payment did much more abound over all my sin. Grace did much more abound. That is why Paul said, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now I can sing with a heart of gratitude, O oh, to grace, how great a debt! Daily I am constrained to be. I had nothing to pay, but Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe, not ninety-nine percent, but all. The grace which the Bible speaks of is not human hospitality, nor good manners, nor courtesy. These are commendable virtues and should at all times be practiced by all people. But they can never be substituted for the saving grace of God. The grace the Bible talks about and the grace we are now talking about was purchased for God's people by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible said, without the shedding of blood is no remission. Man's sin, by which he has incurred his soul-damning debt, can only be remitted or canceled by the merit of Christ's shed blood. God saw the travail of his soul, that is, upon the tree of Calvary, and there God was satisfied with what he saw. Paid, 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 paid in full. Christ is the believer's surety. And he has made eternal and perfect satisfaction for all their sin. Their debt will I remember against them no more. Bless God. Secondly, all who come to Christ have the characteristic of a prisoner. In Psalm 14, 142 and verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. Beloved, all men are born in the prison house of nature. Someone may say, I have never been in jail in my life. That is commendable. But Paul couldn't say that, nor could our Savior, Jesus. And of Jesus we read, 
he was taken from prison. Isaiah 53, 8. Every time Paul turned around, he was locked up. He is the Bible's number one jailbird. But we are not talking about physical prison houses with their bars and steel doors and barbed wire fences. What we are talking about is far worse than any prison man has ever built or shall build. The reason those who come to Christ have the characteristic of a prisoner is because they are prisoners of their own nature and are waiting on earth now, or waiting on death row, for the sentence to be carried out, which is eternal death. The Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. They have received the death sentence. A prisoner, as long as he is in prison, may avail himself of all that the institution has provided for the betterment of his stay in prison. He may, by study of certain educational courses, improve his mind, and may even earn a college degree. He may, through physical exercise, build up his body and improve his health. He may even become a leader and teacher in the social programs of the prison institution. But as long as he is a prisoner, he is behind bars, steel doors, and fences. He is yet locked up and bound to the characteristics of prison life. And so it is with prisoners of fallen nature. They may in many and various ways improve on their time and temporary stay on earth. They are bound hard and fast by the prison bars of the flesh and cannot do anything pleasing unto God. Romans 8, verse 8. Yet they can do many things to make their carnal state less miserable. They can by industry and frugality provide for themselves a comfortable home. They can by practice and morality help to preserve their physical health and stay out of state prison. He can be religious, go to church, teach Sunday school, pay tithes, and may even become a preacher. But he will yet be as bound by his own nature as he ever was, and the characteristics of that nature will in due season manifest itself. At that final assize, we read, Many will say to me in that day, that is the day of sentencing and execution. Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 7:22 and 23. You see, all that fallen nature does, it does to glorify itself. And all that is done, not for the glory of God, no matter how pious it may seem, is a work of iniquity. Jeremiah asks, Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spot? Then ye that are accustomed to do evil may do good. Industry, morality, and religion are good for the here and now. But if they are depended upon to stand one in favor before the holy and righteous judge on the day when every wrong is traced to its rightful source, they will only serve to aggravate their state of condemnation. Christ said to all who are shut up in the prison house of fallen nature, You will not come to me that you might have life. John 5.40 If they had life, they would not need to come to Christ for it. Life is not in going to Las Vegas, Monte Carlo, Nashville, or Disneyland. It is not, it is not in coming to church or to baptism, or to the Lord's Supper. Life is in Christ. 
life is in Christ and not in yourself or anything outside of Christ. Be it the strictest religion. For the Bible says, in Christ was life, and this life was the light of men. There never walked this earth a more strict religionist than Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ. He was shut in on all sides by the bars and traditions of a vain religion. The worst of fallen nature's prison houses are those houses and those walls which are built with the doctrines and commandments of men. Christ said in John 6:44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Paul was drawn to Christ by the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit. If any man could have come to God by his own will, he surely would have been Paul. But the fact is, Paul left to his own will done all in his power to obliterate the teachings of Christ and to eliminate every person who named the name of Jesus. Paul said, Beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Then he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet, that is worthy or suitable, to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. No. And everyone who shall stand before Christ on that eventful day and hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, will reply, It was all by thy grace. By the free and unmerited favor of God, I am what I am, an eternal saint of Almighty God. May the Lord bless you to see that you, if unsaved at this time, have a debt that is insurmountable, and that you are locked in to the old nature so as to try and settle the account with God. May God bless you that he may save your soul and cause you to see it is by the grace of God.